We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,295 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside uh, the fan favorite, somewhere between iconic and psychotic, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I suppose the honest answer is I'm quite well. Thank you very much for asking. But I have just watched the BBC Evening News and um, that, that, it depressed me. It, it made me feel sad, basically, because you can just read between the lines and there lies the truth. But yeah, other than that, other than being depressed by mainstream media, which I only watch just to see what the enemy is saying, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Uh, it's painful just to hear the fact that you sat down and you watched that that just awful stuff. But I understand why you do opposition research. And I told you in prep, I said, it's opposition research. I said, it, well, it better have been opposition research and you're forgiven. You know, did the whole Say three Hail yeah, Marys. You gave burn, me a you know, light a candle. Benediction. Yes. And yes. Uh, absolution. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was I was enjoying my dinner, um, which was a nice baked potato with baked beans, crispy bacon, cheese grated liberally all over it. Not vegan cheese, proper dairy cheese. And then I have to have a a bit of a dam in between because I don't normally eat beans. And sweet corn, because you know our beans come in a tomato sauce. Yes, they certainly do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't have sweet corn and beans mixed together. So I, I made a dam of the potatoes, lashings of butter, plenty of bacon, lots of cheese, and it was very nice. Um, but then, I, you know, it was spoiled a bit by the BBC. I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, I did make a lovely uh, shepherd's pie uh, for dinner today. It's a recipe that I use, and I, I've I've kind of uh, become rather fond of it. It was given to me by a friend of mine from Scotland, uh, and it's his grandmother's recipe from many, many years ago. And it uh -huh. has never done me wrong. You have talked about it before. Did you use – it was a proper shepherd's pie. Yes. yes. Mint yes. lamb. Yes. As yeah. opposed to yeah. mince beef, which is a mm -hmm. cottage pie. Yeah. I think that's well, sometimes, a distinction. Yeah, made. occasionally – yeah, occasionally I'll do the, you know, the cottage pie variant of it. But, yeah, it's whenever I can get the, you know, the minced lamb, then I'll get that. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, anytime someone says shepherd's pie, that always reminds me of the goon sketch. I think Blue Bottle is being interrogated – and uh, uh, I think it's Harry Seacombe goes, you're a spy. He goes, no, I'm not. I'm a shepherd. You're a shepherd's pie. And so anytime anyone mentions shepherd's pie, that sketch just goes through my head. My head is full of crap like this. That's, that is um, both a blessing and a curse. Well, let's see if we can pick through the more uh, serious topics today, though, shall we? But before we do that, as you were saying that you were watching the, uh, or excuse me, painfully watching the uh, the mainstream media earlier, we are not the mainstream media, and we're not backed by corporate dollars that push fake agendas that make everyone hate each other, like those networks. So if you're interested in supporting the work that we do, we do offer additional features with our now active subscription service. Benefits include access to our instant messaging platform for direct communication to us 
Plus, along with early access to upcoming and sometimes unpublished podcasts, which we were discussing in prep just a little bit, something that we're working on in the uh, in the near future, but we shall see. You'll also get access to our behind the scenes uncensored prep sessions, which Marty and I just did, where we talk about things that sometimes don't make it to the final product that you're hearing now, which most of what we discussed won't make it. Those things are usually podcasts in and of themselves. If you want to take part in this fight with us, and if you want to support a team that is willing to do the real research and not give you fake nonsense for talking points, if you want to say screw you to the mainstream media like CNN, Fox News, BBC, Sky News, and MSNBC, then the link is in the program description down below where you can come on board with us and take advantage of these benefits that we're offering to you. And by doing so, you will support our work and our research that goes along with that work. And together, we can take the fight to the doorsteps of these frauds that are on the television and in the newspapers and the talking heads on the international stage like Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab. I don't like those guys. Have I mentioned that? I think I've mentioned that. I don't like them. Um, and I don't think you do either. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't find words strong enough to express my displeasure that they draw breath. I can't disagree with that. So for less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, together we can take action as subscriptions start at just $5 per month. So with that being said, I'm sure that when you were watching the um, uh, the, the BBC earlier, when you were watching the, uh, the mainstream media, they mentioned the tree, the famous tree. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I suppose and... we should start there because everybody's talking about the tree today in the UK. Well... The tree is quite famous because it's been in a couple of movies. Uh, it's quite an old tree. It's probably probably a, was probably about 150 to 160 years old. And where it's situated is uh, between two small hills uh, along a dry stone wall. It was featured in the film Robin of Sherwood, I think, or was it called that Robin Hood? Yep, yep the one Robin with Hood Kevin yep. Co Kevin uh -huh. Cosner. And that that's the that's the uh, joke of, of it. Prince of Thieves. Prince of Prince Thieves. Thieves. That's that's the one. They had that bloody Brian Adams song in the charts for far too long. Kept some really good music out of the number one spot. Anyway, I digress. So because of where it is and it looks out over to sea, uh, to the sea, it's a very picturesque, good photo opportunity, uh, and and makes great cinematography as well. But somebody has cut the damn thing down and whoever it was was looking at the 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 cut it was quite a skilled arborist who managed to cut that down without killing themselves but we have reason to believe that a 16 year old boy is in custody um for you know being investigated for the crime of cutting down this tree. Now, the people uh, who are there and know what they're talking about say that the, the tree was extremely healthy and there's a strong possibility that they could uh, graft on cuttings of the same type of tree onto that trunk and create a coppices, uh, you know, basically try and get it to grow again. But no one's going to see it in its full majesty now uh, for about another 150 years. That is a shame, uh, I have to say. But, you know, uh, Bruce and I were talking yesterday about the... Um, uh, the I think the, I know what you're going to say. I think I know what culture. you're going to say. Yeah. Well, the, the decline of culture is one thing. Well, criminal uh, acts and, and everything else, and we're going to talk about yeah, some of that but today. But... What kind of person, even a, 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 you know, a desperately bored chav is going to do something like that now the person who cut that tree down was either sick in the head and just seeking the attention or it's been cut down by somebody else other than the 16 year old boy and this is just my cynical tinfoil hat wearing head coming on at the moment because what it means is in these areas of, um, you know, exceptional natural beauty, our countryside, where we have the right to roam currently, with acts like this, does it mean that now police can stop whoever they want, uh, who might just be on a hike, just enjoying the sunshine or the, you know, the scenery and stop them going to these, these certain areas? I really am embarrassed with what i'm saying but my cynicism tells me that this this um this there's something not quite smelling right about a 16 year old boy being able to chainsaw down perfectly a 150 year old tree which had to be four maybe five feet 
in diameter. Yeah, and if you notice the uh, the terrain there, it you can actually see where there was a slope. So, for example, if you if you look here, you can see where the you can see where it was leaning the other direction. They were able to fell the tree over the wall on an incline in the opposite direction. Yeah, I find that very yeah. hard to believe that a sixteen year old boy could do such a thing with such precision. I, I don't believe it. I, no. I I don't believe it at all. Um, which is which is why. The, the whole thing stinks to me and it looks like another opportunity. It's either someone had to get rid of that tree because it it's in the way of something or it's divisive to restrict people's access to the countryside. Or it could be the future site of a 15-minute city. You know, you got to get rid of all that um, that unwanted landscape well, that, that's, that's there. That, that's the joke of it all. That area is, is sheep farming area uh, and it's in Northumberland. Of course, they... In the Prince of Thieves, they arrive ashore in a small boat, and then they're by that tree when they speak and say, we'll be in my father's house by sundown. Northumberland, by horse, from Nottingham, is probably a five-day journey. It's good old Hollywood. It, it can never... Gotta love it. Can it never, yeah. yeah, it can never get these things quite right. So Either what I was going to say about that, yeah, what I was going to say about that is the, the Northumberland is one of our least populated um, counties. There's a mm. lot of farmland, uh, and because it's very hilly, there's not a lot of large towns and villages. There are centres of population, but most places are quite small villages. And I very much doubt that that area is going to be um, developed into anything other than more effective farmland. So I, I can't even work out why they'd want the tree to go. Well, it also is, a, like I said, it also is a, um, a visual representation of something that people cherish. You know, it's a, it's a spot that people know, uh, and it's something that has become ingrained in your culture. And so, again, I, I think it's just a, a decline of culture. I, I, I'm not saying that that's the only reason, but I'm saying that this is, you know, it's another, it's another part of it. It's another piece of it. Uh, it's a way of, of just, in the modern generation, it's a way of showing the people in the society, oh, look, this is no longer there kind of thing. It's a, it's a demoralization tactic is, what, is where I'm going with it. Yeah, um, I can see that. Just the same as maybe not the guy that they tore his statue down in Bristol, who, who, who built schools, clothed and fed the poor, but was indeed a slaver, or at least he operated ships that were part of the slave triangle. So actually, is it Colston? Yeah, I actually, I read something about that. I want to say it was like two or three days ago. The woman who led that, pro the BLM activist who led that She protest, has just been charged and yes. admitted guilty of fraud. Yeah. yeah um, because she'd started a GoFundMe um, sort of project uh, and millions of pounds went missing from the Black Lives Matter um, organization. But she's put her hands up to the £30,000 that were in that um, GoFundMe account. So there's there's probably more, but I think she's um, she's pleaded on a lesser charge in the hope that the rest of it all goes away. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like the uh, the one of the so-called founders of it. Uh, what's her name? Patrice something or other colors or, or something like that. Uh, she was found to have been embezzling a lot of the BLM money. She ended up having, I think it was seven mansions and three of them were in other countries. And one of them one of the private residences that she had was in, I want to say it was in Georgia, had its own private airstrip on it. And she's out there <laughs> parading around like she's down with the poor kind of thing. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. The more that happens to us and the more the this this global plan is revealed and impinges upon all of our lives, I couldn't believe how much a loaf of bread, I mean, that the you and Bruce were talking about, was costing in the States. Things aren't that expensive here. But the more things get expensive, the more we have our rights taken away, the less inclined I am to criticise people who might have just grabbed a big chunk full of, of cash and gone and enjoyed it. But again, because of the the repercussions and the, the continued divisiveness uh, of the Black Lives Matter movement, movements like Just Stop Oil, Extinction Rebellion, all of these banner-waving, road-blocking, protest-statue-pulling-down groups 
because of that, I I can't really have that much sympathy or applaud them for getting away with stealing millions of. Uh, and I think the term that someone who was talking about it in the um the mainstream media was talking about it actually about white guilt. They cultivated that white guilt through critical race theory, through the demands for critical, reparations. Critical race theory, right? That in and of itself, just, just to the point, whenever you hear something called critical and theory, that is straight out of Karl Marx. That's what he talked about was critical theory. But we're now yeah. just calling it critical race theory. It's it's Marxism is all it is. Yeah. And, and you only had to look at the Black Lives Matter uh, manifesto to see just how Marxist that organization yeah. is yeah. so where will we go with that i've completely well, lost track we we were actually we, it's funny because we we got into the uh we we, we kind of transitioned in there to the uh, the black lives matter movement we were talking about the um the decline of of culture now yesterday i talked about uh with bruce we talked about the um the opioid epidemic in the u.s and where that's coming from well you guys are not excluded from this now i have read uh the book called red cocaine and i recommend that book to people uh, i sent you a copy of it as well you're going to read it at it some did. point there's also another book called Psychochemical Warfare. And it's, well, red cocaine is how the Russians and the Chinese did it. Psychochemical Warfare is how the Chinese specifically did it. And they are not relenting at all since they started this in the late 50s and early 60s. What they have been doing over the course of several decades is that they have been improving their potency. This is why you see a major opioid epidemic across the United States. The United States is not exclusive to this. The other biggest target in the West is the UK with opioids. Today, Chinese-made Frankenstein opioid is up to 40 times more potent than fentanyl that is now sweeping Britain. Are you paying attention to what I'm saying? 40 times uh -huh. more potent. Oh, I wasn't speaking to you. I was just speaking in general. Well, I was just agreeing. The synthetic drug, this is causing what they're calling um, uh, an unusual increase. I love how they dumb it down uh, in overdoses. The opioid which is the new synthetic drug, which cash-hungry dealers have been mixing into heroin because guess what? It's cheap and it's addictive and it boosts the euphoric effects. It's now blamed for fueling um, a large amount of overdoses across the UK in the last few months. As well as being mixed into other substances, it's also being sold as oxycodone pills, oxycotton pills, or Xanax powders. You know, Xanax is the... Um, I want to say it's the, uh, uh, is it the, the, the anxiety drug, the anxiety uh, drug that they give people? That's, that's big in the U.S., uh, Xanax. Yeah. It's people that have you know anxiety attacks and things, they give them Xanax. These drugs, however, have cropped up among drug users in the U.S. over the past few years, seeing them nicknamed Frankenstein opioids as they are the most powerful on the market today. It is thought to have formally arrived in the U.K. around two years ago when the National Crime Agency first spotted it among overdose patients. Available in powder, tablet, and liquid form, they can be injected, swallowed, placed under the tongue, snorted, or vaped. Good Lord. My goodness. You know, I have lost several friends of mine to this opioid epidemic, right? So when I talk about this, I take this very seriously, and this is very personal to me. I know people personally that have been mixed up in this. I know people that have died, and I myself have worked in the big cities of America dealing with this crisis. So I understand it very well. I'm not the biggest expert in the uh, uh, in the realm of this, but I know what I've done and I know what I've seen at the street level. And it is beyond what I could have possibly imagined 10, 15 years ago. But we could see where it was going because we were running into problems within the court systems because we have these lovely little woke district attorneys and state's attorneys that don't want to prosecute any crime. The drugs trigger a feeling of pain relief euphoria, relaxation, and sleepiness, but they can also lead to sweating, itching, and nausea. That's why you see somebody with like the, uh, the, the open sores on themselves because they're always picking, right? They get this tingly feeling all over their skin, like their skin's crawling. So they just have to constantly pick and pick and pick, right? That's, that's why you, I mean, that's one of the biggest telltale signs you can see when you, when you run across an addict. This opioid mimics the effect of natural opioids such as morphine and are often cut with these drugs, creating a deadly cocktail. Users do not always know that they are consuming this product. Uh, this is what we call a hot dose. With police forces finding people who thought that they were taking heroin were actually taking these new whatever, you know, these new opioids, but they thought they were taking uh, paracetamol or caffeine pills. And it turned out to be this. And this is where the overdose is, is happening. You know, I, I and I'll, I can go on with this, but I'd love to get your thoughts on this as to how this is cropping up, because it, I can tell you, I can tell you that this just based on what's going on in my country, I can tell you that this is going to get a whole lot worse unless it is stomped out and stomped out right now. 
There is, as we mentioned in prep, actually, a big move by the constabulary in my area to crack down on dealing gangs, gangs that are dealing. And they are obviously fed information by, is it the NCA, the National Crime Authority? Yeah. And the, the intel will be passed to them and they will be seizing some of these synthetic opioids. But I don't think the police force is resourced high enough to stomp it out effectively. They'll just move. They'll get new dealers, new lower level people, unless you hit them all at once. But it's the only thing they can do. They have to try to stop it at whatever level. And even if that's just single street dealers uh, stopping them from getting out, because each time they do, they're potentially saving um, half a dozen lives easily. But why? Why Why do people feel the need to let go of reality with such alarming regularity? Why is it becoming more prevalent? Why are more and more people getting strung out on drugs? Is it just that the supply is greater or is it what we're living through? I think it's a combination of things. And let, let me explain. I've told you many times, and again, you know, I take it very personally. I've gone back to my hometown in the US and it's it's essentially it's gone. There are drugs all over the place. The the industry, the businesses, you know, more more or less are just gone. You're dealing now with um, and I'm not saying this is a regular occurrence, but this was this kind of thing was non existent when I grew up there. But now you're dealing with shootings, you're dealing with stabbings, you're dealing with home break ins, auto thefts, things like that. These kind of things didn't exist. It it just did not happen. And when it did happen, it was a very rare occurrence and it was a one time thing, right? And everybody knew about it kind of thing. Right. It wasn't it wasn't uh, out of control crime and, and drug use. It just wasn't there. But I've talked about this time and again, and you guys have been the victim of, of what we've been the victim of. And that's deindustrialization. Our industry has been sold out for the most part, not all of it, but a good a goodly percentage of it has been outsourced and shipped over to China. And in return, we're getting the power vacuum. Right. The vacuum of that is you no longer have a, an economy where people have a future that they can invest in themselves and in their potential families that they would go on to have. That's not there any longer. What you have now is a vacuum that needs to be filled. Drugs and crime become your new economy. That becomes the way forward, as opposed to the natural order of things, you know, building and, and manufacturing and bettering your community and having families and creating a peaceful society, or at the very least, you're, you're striving to be a peaceful society. That no longer exists. Now you have this. So I'm saying that this all works together. And of course, you have people that see the disparity, right? They, they see the, uh, the, the depression of it, and they just don't want to face reality. And so they find the escapism in, in the drugs as well. So I think it's a combination of all these things. So with the deindustrialization, with the lack of or fewer um, viable careers and jobs in manufacturing, construction, those kind of things... That also explains another part of the BBC News this evening, which is about the advancements in robotics within industry. And uh, they showed a graph on there, and it was played off as a bad thing that in the UK, we are something like 40th in the world when it comes to the number of robots being used in industry. I think we had something like the figure was as low as 118 uh, robotic plants or, you know, where where robotics were being used in conjunction with humans to make products. Uh, America was right up there in the thousands within the, you know, the on this scale. And the way that the news piece was presented, it was like, we're lagging behind. We've got to really push forward with incorporating robotic engineering into our manufacturing. And I was firmly of the opinion watching it that, no, it's good that we've got people who are still uh, soldering, who are still turning and fitting, still using CNC machines, lathes, all of those things. We we have real tradesmen, craftsmen. Well, yeah, I mean they're, they're craftsmen as opposed to tradesmen. I'd I'd call a bricklayer, a plumber, an ele- well, even electrician. That. Even that they're 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 tradesmen. They have a trade. True, yeah. but the fabricators, the people who can actually use all of that 
heavy machinery to um, turn metal, produce whatever the component is, or uh, a job that I used to do, which was, you know, electronic circuitry, soldering, building of whole control cabinets, those kind of things. It's becoming less and less. And as part of the United Nations, you know, Agenda 2030, with all of our industry moving to South America, Africa, China, and other parts of Asia. So, yeah, they are creating this vacuum. And the UK somehow has resisted it a little bit, but we're losing that battle. We are slowly but surely losing that battle and losing our manufacturing industry almost totally. So, yes, it does leave a big void. What do these people do? To quote, paraphrase Noah Harari, what are we going to do with these people? And if their only way out is is drugs or any kind of entertainment is drugs, then I'm afraid that the dealers uh, are, are going to have a, a ready-made audience, aren't they? They're going to have that ready-made clientele. Yeah. And speaking of having that ready-made audience, right, that would be your uh, your local population. They just so happen to have a whole bunch of people that are coming in that don't really have any opportunities. They're not going to be working, most of them are not going to be working at those roadside hand car washes that you like to talk about so much. They're going to be taking jobs, as you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, in organized crime. And if you don't have a marketplace, guess what? They're creating one. Yeah. You look at, you. I know you and Bruce were talking about how many are coming over the southern border, and it's a rat, was it? We're up to about, we're between seven and nine million now. Seven and nine million per year, or about a million per year? We're looking at seven to nine million. That's what we've, that's what the Border Patrol is actually saying, seven to nine million since Biden has taken office. If you look at the UK, the number of illegal immigrants, they don't even like you using the word illegal at the moment because they'll they'll oh, come back with them. the argument. Oh, hell um, yeah, true. they'll come back with the argument. How could a person be illegal? They 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 prefer us to use the term irregular, irregular, irregular. migrants. Yeah, yeah, you know what? They can they can piss off with all their their name changes and term changes. If they well, if they get caught out on some BS lie, then all they do is change the term. You know, the hell with them. I'm sick of playing their stupid games. But you've got a population, I believe, of around about, mind you, you've probably lost count now because of all the um, influx, uh, 370 million people in the US. 330. 330. Supposed to be 330. Supposed to be. And you've got about a million per year coming over your borders. Well, our population. We actually, to be fair, to be fair, just just to be clear, we take in, we have been taking in since we did our immigration reform back in the mid nineties. We have been legally naturalizing one million per year. So legally, that means people that literally come in from another country, go through the legitimate legal process and become a U.S. citizen. I have absolutely no problem with that, none whatsoever. No, but uh, and but it's. It's the ones that actually don't bother putting themselves through that process that are are the issue. And there's a reason why they don't put themselves through that process, because they want to stay off the radar. They don't want to be identified. They don't want an ID card. They don't want a... You know, was it your, would you call it your national insurance or national security number? Uh, so, social security. Social card. security number. Yeah, which they're giving they those to, yeah, well, they're giving those now to, to people that are just coming across. So it doesn't really yeah. matter. But these ones don't want them because they want to remain under the radar. They don't want to pay any state taxes. They don't want to pay any federal taxes. They are going to be employed in crime. But what the point I was trying to make is you've got 330 million and you're, you're getting a million over the border our population is around about 65 million something like that so we're sort of uh just do the rough maths let's say we're five times smaller than you in terms of population but we're about 10 to 15 times smaller than you in terms of of land mass in terms of space but we've got 240,000 coming into our borders every year so you know we're actually suffering it more we've got less space yeah we've got less places to put people we've got less money and proportionally compared to our population we're actually taking or we're we're being inundated at a far worse rate than the united states is so whilst that doesn't make your situation um no we're facing the same problem we're facing we are facing essentially the same problem yeah 
our home secretary, Suella Braverman, she's the daughter of an immigrant family, and she is talking very tough about the situation and what the Tories are going to do. She's actually a local MP. She's she's an MP for a constituency not five miles away from where I'm sitting at the moment. And this part of the South has, I, I suppose, we've yeah, we've got an integrated population. But in recent months, I've noticed many, many more people who are clearly straight off of one of those little inflatable boats that have come ashore in you know in, on the Kent coast. So I I don't know about this is point winning. I described it to my you, you know your armed forces ha, had the stop loss program mm-hmm. and and the the tough talking on immigration from Suella Braverman the um, backpedal on um, net zero by Sunak his speech on that. And there's a couple more of them. These are just ways to try to stop all of the Tory voters that they know they're going to lose from voting for the only other option, which would be Labour, because they're they're not, although reform may get quite a few votes, I don't think they're going to get as many or, or any, I know they'll not get anywhere near enough to actually make a government. So all of this rhetoric at the moment from Sunak and Braverman is a stop loss uh, tactic because the general election is going to be a nightmare for the Tories. And let's hear some of that uh, that rhetoric. And just to be clear, I agree with you. I don't believe a word that she says. Uncontrolled immigration, inadequate integration and a misguided dogma of multiculturalism have proven a toxic combination for Europe over the last few decades. I'm not the first to point this out. In 2010, Angela Merkel gave a speech in which she acknowledged that multiculturalism had utterly failed. And then French President Nicolas Sarkozy and British Prime Minister David Cameron echoed similar sentiments shortly thereafter. Multiculturalism makes no demands of the incomer to integrate. It has failed because it allowed people to come to our society and live parallel lives in it. They could be in the society, but not of the society. And in extreme cases, they could pursue lives aimed at undermining the stability and threatening the security of our society. Though I agree with the points that she said, I don't believe her. They're not her words. No. Those are are not her words. What she's done is done a bit of a, a surface sweep of the remarks perhaps from social media, from Twitter, picked out a few little sound bites and added them all up into that speech. Uh, All of which, everything she said was true. Multiculturalism has failed. We are being inundated. It is an issue that bothers a great many people. And I'm not just talking about white people. There's people that have been here legally, uh, for several generations who feel the same way. And they know, they know the kind of people that are, are being boated in on a daily basis across it's the channel. It's an insult to them. It's an insult to them. You know, they, they yeah. worked hard to, to get to the US or to the UK or to any European country and integrate. And these other people just stroll right in and get everything handed to them. You know how bad it is in Ireland at the moment as well. With, I'm um, glad you mentioned that because I want to talk about Ireland, but because I, I want to tie them into the uh, the drug thing. But go ahead. Yeah. You know, the Irish Garda are coming down very heavy on anyone that's protesting um, or they call it intimidation. But yeah, I suppose to a certain extent it is intimidating because you've got these large groups of people jeering, questioning the immigrants as they're coming off buses being put into hotels and those kind of things. And on the news tonight, there was a piece, uh, and I, for the life of me, I can't work out why they didn't properly explain the whole story. Uh, a young black girl in a gymnastics competition, and you had about 25 young girls all with their leotards on and their hair done up in buns, and they'd just competed, and they were all getting a medal uh, for participation. Not for winning, just for participation. There was one black girl in that crowd, and um, she didn't get a medal. 
They just kept walking past her and giving the medals to other kids. Now, no one's explained on the piece on the news what the hell Irish gymnastics thought they were doing by not giving her a medal, which I think is totally unfair. And I I, I am on side with her parents in, in demanding an apology. But there was no explanation as to as to why. All there was was a piece that made you feel extremely sympathetic to her immigrant parents because they're they're not they weren't born in Ireland. They've still got sounds like um West African accents and, and their daughter. So it's a piece to make people feel guilty, which circles us back to that whole um GoFundMe, BLM, fraud, where did all the money come from? It came from mostly white people, um, academics, some of the middle class who felt guilty about their skin colour. So to alleviate that guilt, they gave money. That's where I was going with that. Again, it's a piece of news that is so incomplete, it it doesn't tell you or explain why the organisation that held that competition chose not to give that one girl an attendance me a, a, a participation medal I, I i probably left you nowhere to go with that but it it's um it, not much it i just, can do with that one i'm afraid it, it just irritated me in the extreme because i wanted to know more i wanted to know the ins and outs of the story but you just don't get that on mainstream media no, you don't. And to be fair, I mean, this is a place where you can air your grievances once a week. So we, you know. That's the only reason I'm still doing this. It is very therapeutic. I told you it would be from the start. So as you brought up Ireland, I want to uh, bring Ireland into here to the, into the mix. Have you heard about this um, cargo ship that was seized off of the Irish coast that ran aground? Something is sort of tingling in the back of my brain, but please, please, please explain further. Okay. So you've, and the reason I bring this up is, you know, you've, you've been on drug interdiction runs before. Uh, so this would, yeah, but know. that was, that was the West Indies. Uh, and, well, um, West Indies, Irish coast. Is there really a difference, you know? Uh, yeah, the weather for one thing. Well, yeah, the weather probably. Ireland braces for a cartel bloodbath. I'm serious. This is not a joke. Uh, after a raid on a cartel mothership. This is a, a tanker ship that was sent by a Colombian Gulf clan and Albanians to supply Europe. And they kind of ran the ship aground and, well, they found two tons of pure Colombian cocaine on board. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a big street value. I've no idea. That is. How much 400, costs. 430 million pounds worth of cocaine is what was on that ship. Wow. And uh, I'm assuming that was the pure stuff. So to, by the time oh, yeah. they cut it with all kinds of cleaning products, we probably double that. So, well, yeah, someone's going to pay for it, aren't they? The old cartels, and especially if, if what you were saying is correct about the cartels are currently backed up by the Spetsnats uh, and, and the GRU, someone's going to... And the Chinese triads. Yeah. Someone's going to pay for that. I don't think they've got the imagination, you know, the complex imagination they'd need to make whatever punishment they meet out satisfy them because that's a big chunk of change to lose, isn't it? That is a lot of cocaine, I have to be honest. The National Drug and Organized Crime Bureau Bureau went abroad where they found 2,253 kilograms or 5,000 pounds of cocaine, uh, which is wor- which has a street value of 430 million pounds. That is yeah. that is a lot of cocaine. Uh, but you can see there it was on this uh, uh, this tanker ship, and that's that's where they found it. Thing is, um, so many of the tankers going into the ports in Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland, they used to be interdicted by the Royal Navy because Libya, certain parts of the United States, or factions within the United States, were sending guns and explosives to the Irish Republican Army via the Republic of Ireland time and time and time again. Now, since the... Thompson's for, for Jameson's. That's what the deal was, I thought. Yeah. Since the, um, you know, the Good Friday Agreement and the supposed end to the troubles, I don't think that interdiction and level of surveillance of those tankers has been, um, has been going on. So chances are that's one tanker with, you know, 
lots and lots of cocaine on that has run aground. But just imagine how many didn't. Just imagine how many got through. It's like your um, swallowers uh, on, on a flight. The, the ones that, are, that they only have to catch one. And that normally means that the resources are all used up and the other 30 get through air, airport security, no problem at all. Yeah, uh, it doesn't surprise me that Tons of Charlie is coming into um, the Republic of Ireland via tankers because no one's stopping and searching them anymore. And the fact that that one was searched um, suggests to me that tip off. somebody... Somebody yeah, there's a, there's a tip off, off some, somewhere, and that had to be acted on. Maybe it was a really, I wouldn't say public, but maybe it was over publicized so that they had to act upon it because I'm not entirely convinced that the Garda would bother. You know, the IRA in Northern Ireland, and for that matter, the, um, the Protestant militias all stopped their paramilitary terrorist. Yeah, but now um, there's activities and then got running, straight into organized crime. Yeah, and they're I was just getting ready to say they're running the, the they're running the drug game now. Yeah, yeah. So someone was gonna get pretty rich. And obviously they either now owe the cartel. I'm hoping they paid them in advance. I'm hoping they paid the cartel in advance for all that. And now there's some scroty ex-terrorist absolutely shitting themselves because they've lost all their money or if they didn't that actually yeah that would be even better if they didn't pay them in advance and were hoping to feed the money drip feed the money back after sales which means that the next the next tanker that comes across will be full of um angry angry mexicans or colombians or or any kind of central and south american ready to cut throats and give people the old necktie well if jerry adams doesn't show up to parliament on monday then we know what happened right isn't he uh, uh, is it the no, other martin one mcginnis martin mcginnis is yeah dead. jerry adams is still in parliament he is still in parliament yeah isn't he? biden yeah. got a biden got a photo with him when he was in dublin well i mean how much longer can biden actually stay out of jail uh, well, that's a good question. I guess that's, you know, that's only time's going to tell. Uh, we actually have to have people within the judiciary or within the judicial system that have some integrity first. Um, so oh, okay. God only knows. Uh, but this might have something to do with the fact that, and you know, it could just be that the, the crew of that tanker, it could be that they were completely oblivious to it. I don't know. Uh, it is entirely possible. Well, when you look at this, a UK national, three Ukrainians and two Iranians, including including an Iranian captain, were on that vessel. And they're the ones that have so, been detained. Yeah. yeah they're, they're all expendable, aren't they? Yes, they certainly they're, are. They're, they're infinitely expendable because they haven't got the the embassies and the diplomatic service in, in these countries to um, to bail their asses out or you know even get them a fair trial. So, yeah, it's, oh dear, how sad, never mind again, really. Bad luck, drug dealing ex-terrorists and drug supplying cartels that is true well let's move over to something a little bit sweeter let's get away from the uh, the colombian candy and let's move over to one of marty's favorite pastimes marty you love chocolate don't you you love chocolate yeah 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 you love good box the, the combination the, the combination of chocolate and ice cream s'mores i do love a s'more it's I, been I, years I described this i've had that yeah 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 it's yeah i love chocolate but i can't eat Nestle chocolate anymore because uh, the CEO is a c and uh, Cadbury's chocolate is okay, but bloody Hershey's owns it now. That's a shame. And, that is a shame. And Hershey chocolate does taste like vomit, and that's because they use an enzyme from the gut in chocolate production, funnily enough. Yeah, so what are you going to say? Chocolate. Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, chocolate. Um, so there's a... <laughs> There's a what speaking of the the drug thing of course what goes with drugs crime of course right um mm. one of the biggest problems that you're having just like my country in the United States you're having an epidemic of shoplifting that's taking place across the UK as a matter of fact I was watching a report today from ITV they were doing an exclusive with uh, a shop owner there in London and while they were there they had shoplifters that were running in and out 
and they were trying to do an interview with the shop owner. But some of the places that have been hit the hardest across the UK are co-ops. Uh, could you explain for the American listeners what the co-op shops are? Because we don't have co-ops largely. Co-ops we, are, we do have them, but they're not. They're well, not you, quite. Yeah, a bit. You, you've got you've got similar things. If you think of uh, a Seven Eleven, yeah, yeah, kind they, of something they're, like that. they're the same thing. You know, it's just that they used to be called co-ops because they were local cooperatives. So local products would sell their goods. Uh, you know, farm produce, milk, eggs, bread. All those things would be locally sourced and sold in the co-op. Now it's a, a multinational corporation. Yeah. Uh, and you do get co-ops in other parts of the world, but they, they tend to be small stores within, I think the term you in America use is a strip mall. So you've got a row of shops and then on the end of it or in the middle of it will be a co-op. So you'll have a news agents, you'll have a barbers, you'll have uh, a, a bakery, a couple of takeaways such as a, an indian takeaway a chinese takeaway and a co-op mm. i mean even in the out in every mosque was a convenience store uh, and this is because uh during ramadan in particular as soon as that last prayer is over people could dive straight into the yeah, convenience the shops, yeah. store and get yeah. something to eat but yeah sorry so yeah co-ops are are prone to shoplifting because of mm-hmm. quite often where they're situated as well. They're not in the more genteel, gentrified areas of a town or city. They are in the less affluent parts of a town. Uh, well, they're having big problems, and they're not the only ones. Uh, you've got uh, companies like Waitrose, you've got uh, Sainsbury's, Morrison, and Aldi, which you talked about the uh, the middle sections in Little and, and Aldi. Yeah, they've seen a rise in thefts, and they all just happen to be along the tube routes uh, in London. Dunelm yeah. is actually locking up uh, duvets and pillowcases with uh, pin code uh, protected cabinets. So if you want a duvet or a pillowcase, then an employee has to come over and punch in a pin code and open the the cabinet for you to get one. But uh, these co-ops are now displaying empty boxes of uh, of chocolates. Uh, they're they're emptying the. Uh, oh, you guys have Reese's over there. I didn't know that. Um, they're displaying empty boxes of uh, lint chocolate and uh, Ferrero Rocher. Those are amazing, by the way. And uh, as well as uh, Nescafe coffee. Uh, yeah, well, you can keep that. I never yeah. buy Nesca. I don't buy Nescafe anymore because it's made by Nestle. Yeah. Well, any of this stuff, these are all empty packages that they're having to put on the shelves because of rampant uh, shoplifting. The U.S., I've actually seen some of these stores uh, in the U.S., and I I haven't run across any photos that I can pull right offhand, but they are now locked behind. uh, Yeah, I've seen seen the pictures of them all. Videos yeah. of them. So um, you guys don't have any of that stuff yet. So I think you know retailers are kind of taking it upon themselves to just figure out what they can do in the short term to to kind of deal with this. Uh, and it's this is the only solution they've got. I think. I, I think it is the only solution. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but I was asked to make a paella or paella for a friend who I was staying with while I was waiting to move into my house in the UAE. And I needed saffron to color the rice. And theft is extremely rare in the UAE. It's the sort of place where you can leave your wallet and your your mobile phone on the dashboard of your car. You'd be stupid to do so because the sun will melt the hell out of it. But you could do and no one would touch it because the, the penalties are quite severe. But also, and I'm not saying Christian society isn't moral but it certainly seems that muslim societies are incredibly moral in that respect with regards to theft so the but the only thing that was locked away in the supermarket i went to to get the various ingredients i needed was the saffron because it is so expensive for such a small thing so if someone was to go in there and decide to shoplift they could put possibly a thousand pounds worth of saffron boxes or boxes of saffron into a relatively small pocket or bag. You know, it's, it's really expensive stuff. Is this really what we want? Back in the, when I was a kid, uh, sweet shops and tobacconists used to have all of the sweets and things in jars behind the counter and they were measured out in the quantity you wanted them, including some tobaccos or rolling tobaccos, that kind of stuff was was measured and weighed out 
and then bagged up and passed to you as you passed the money over. Those kinds of shops really disappeared and everything is on display self-service. And it all boils down to that. It's it's the speed at which we want to do our shopping, the speed at which we have to live our lives that has meant that you've got self-service checkouts. You've got all the goods on display that you go in, you pick up, whereas before you were served. This all created jobs for people. Admittedly, I wouldn't want to work in a shop. I could not stand the idea of working in retail, but it did provide jobs for people. Now, that's probably been reduced by 75%, the number of people working in retail outlets, because you serve yourself. Gone are the days of being able to walk into a store and just pick up the things that you need and have a, a casual stroll through whatever else you might need while you're there and, and just walk out, you know, pay and obviously pay and then walk out. Going shopping used to be a, a pleasant experience. Now it feels like you're walking into a jail cell, more or less, you know, and that's that also includes these new um, scan measures. And don't tell me that's not what they are. These new scan measures that are being put in that you're going to have to take to get into the store, because I think yeah. that's where all this is leading. Yeah. If you haven't got the money to pay for it, the system will know if you're using that kind of system. So you won't even get across the threshold. You know, there'll be a barrier in the way. Mm. Um, but this kind of shoplifting is becoming more prevalent and I can only see it getting worse because no one's actually doing anything to really improve the life or the morals, the education of the people committing these crimes. No one's really helping them. Everything's getting shut down. I do have sympathy. I do have sympathy with people who are forced to steal to eat. But most of this isn't stealing to eat. It's stealing for profit or it's stealing for the sheer hell of it. And and that's that part of it is definitely where this breakdown in values can be seen by the number of people who don't need to steal but they're going to do it anyway because it gives them street cred, gives them a bit of a buzz, and really the consequences aren't as severe as they should be. No, I completely agree. All right, Marty, on to your surprise, and we will go ahead and wrap up. You talked about uh, Rishi Sunak dialing back on this this net zero thing, right? So yeah. what if there were another option? What if you could get paid as as in you, the the taxpayer, you, the end user, what if you could get paid for being cold? Paid for being cold. Yes. So if let's well, say, for example, okay. let's say, for example, that um, the government came along, the, the British government came along and offered you a sum of money to not heat your home. Um, it very much depends on how much the sum of how money, much money they're going to pay you. Well, British yeah. households could be paid to turn down their heating this winter to avoid gas shortages. National Gas, which runs the UK's main transmission network, is exploring a similar scheme to the one introduced for electricity last year by allowing the chaos caused by, of course, the, the Ukraine war. Uh, the scheme yeah. could respond to fears of a looming shortage by paying volunteers to cut their gas usage. National Gas already runs a similar scheme to the consumers, but it's never extended it to their homes. The head of energy resilience for National Gas told the Financial Times, we could end up in a situation where households could effectively say, I'll turn down my heating by two degrees today and make that savings. It's an interesting concept. So how much? Well, under the National Grid's Demand for Flexibility Service, or DFS, families were paid between 10 and 20 pounds to cut their usage to prevent blackouts. Uh, the scheme ran from January to March, if you remember. We did talk about that. Well, I guess it doesn't give an actual amount, uh, but they're they're comparing it to the uh, the electricity thing. And quite frankly, I can't imagine it would be much more than that. If it was 10 to 20 pounds, then then it's going to be 10 to 20 pounds for this. Uh, but if is you this, remember- Is this per month? A week. I'm a assuming. I'm assuming it's per month. I, I'm assuming. But if yeah, you remember, it's, it's, if you remember, dear old be... Boris. Yeah, if you remember, mm. dear old Boris. He says, if you've got an old kettle, then you could save twenty pounds a year on your energy costs if you if you just go out and buy a new one. So yeah, there if you, you go. Buy the new one at, at, at about sixty pounds. Um, so the first three years, you make no saving at all. Um, I'm well. If it was if it was worthwhile, I would use no gas. I have a wood burner, but it's not because, you know, a, t a ton of wood costs me around about 90 pounds. I have it delivered. 
So, no, we didn't experience any shortages as a result of the, the war last winter. The war was happening last winter, wasn't it? Last I checked, yeah. And it'll happen yeah, this yeah, winter, yeah. too. Sorry. These last few years have all sort of gone into one, really, and I, I get confused. It's, it's their scapegoat is all yeah. it is. You know, you want to fix this, uh, this energy problem? Start exploring your own energy, which, by the way, uh, again, as of today, uh, Sunak has said, you know what? We're going to open up the oil and gas contracts for the North Sea oil drilling project. Yeah, and... Um Former President Trump has said when he gets back in, he's going to drill, 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 baby. So um, you don't need the Middle East. You don't need the Middle East. We can be energy independent on our own. Yeah, we we can. And it's that energy independence that, that we need to focus on. I wanted to talk about something that cropped up on Fastbook. As you know, I, I still yeah, look well, into Fastbook every now and again. For, for whatever reason. But again, uh, I'm assuming this is opposition research. Well, kind of. There's a podcaster called Dan Astin Gregory, and he posed the question, how does humanity need to evolve in order to create a world without war, was the question that he posed. Uh, An awful lot of people were putting vacuous things like, we need to treat animals better and stop eating meat and not massacring and slaughtering and abusing thousands of animals. I, I replied to a lot of those saying, I like meat, keep your opinions to yourself, they're not very good, which was a bit unfair. But I did reply, and so the question being posed, how must we evolve to stop a world without wars? And I said, it absolutely can't, uh, unless it's fully controlled by a single global government, limited space and resources would still see conflicts. Human nature has evolved, but we are still in a constant struggle to get what we need uh, within the hierarchy of needs. So we need shelter, warmth, food, water, and and the ability to procreate before we get anything near the upper end of the hierarchy to self-actualization and being all we can be. Um, I think it's Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow's Um, hierarchy of needs or Haslow's, something like that. It's Maslow's. So I said the best way to avoid war is to make yourself such a hard target that your potential enemies consider it too much effort. The next thing is to keep your nose out of other countries' business. If there must be a third, I'd say it's ensure your democratically elected government isn't full of puppets worked by external agencies and greed. Again, greed was a a theme in, in your yours and Bruce's last podcast. And, you know, I, I, I got someone coming back at me saying, I firmly believe that can't is a lie, that we all conveniently tell ourselves um, just because it's not convenient. But these people who are saying things like that uh, are deluding themselves. They're not facing the truth. They're not seeing human nature for what it is. We are greedy. We are in conflict all the time for resources that it's a competition and if we um, just uh, just interject there really quickly um and to to get to this point that this individual is talking about that would imply as you said it would imply that we would need some type of single governing body which they intend to create at least on the surface of it but here's the problem that would also imply that we're all equal and we are all not no, we're not. We're not all equal, especially in terms of what gang you can call up to put down your your neighbours. Yes, you know that is the problem. And I, again, to this lady who says she firmly believes that can't is a lie, so everything's possible. In that case, I'm going to sprout wings tomorrow and fly to the Bahamas. But um, uh, just to finish off, from me. I said, I firmly believe that hoping for a perfect outcome is a waste of time. Step one, admit there's a problem. Step two, define the problem. Step three, decide on a course of action. Step four, execute your plan. Step five, monitor the situation for any reoccurrence of the problem. The world is being run by about 3,000 people. They're a mix of ultra-rich academics and ideologues. They are screwing the rest of the planet. Plan. Remove them from their power base by charging them with and trying them for the crimes of corruption, genocide and malfeasance in office of which they are guilty. Each sovereign nation would have to do this independently. Yeah, do do this for their own guilty globalist and elite, globalist elite citizens. 
Replace them with independent, properly vetted leaders, politicians, senior public servants, and non-New World Order narrative scientists. Obviously, they, they need to be vetted. Impose regulations to ensure that bribery, blackmail, corruptions, and malfeasance don't reoccur. But if they do, the guilty are immediately replaced. Now the problem from my solution will be finding humans who are not putting themselves forward for office without being driven by ego or greed. Uh, like I said, don't waste your time hoping for a perfect solution. It doesn't exist. And certainly, we are never going to evolve in a situation where there is no kind of conflict. There will always be some kind of war. So the best thing to do is make yourself as hard a target as possible. That's well said, my friend. We'll see you next week. Yes, you will. You will indeed. Listeners, if you do subscribe and listen to our prep from this one, I wasn't talking about you, Sec. Very good. We'll make sure that he gets that if he uh, if he is listening. So we will go ahead and call this one done. That'll do it for us for today and for this week. Thank you for being here today, my friend. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday. 